Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, our co-host Anthony Navarro shares his story. Anthony is a founder and creative director of Live It Up Events, a nationwide event production company with offices in Chicago and Los Angeles. He's an author, producer, entrepreneur, talk show host, and speaker. His early years were shaped by time spent in his family's restaurant. There he witnessed the importance of coming together around the table with friends and family. He then had to learn how to navigate life when there was loss and pain so he could continue to live and flourish. He's now using all those skill sets and crafting life experiences for people through various media formats. Let's hear Anthony's story. Hey, hi. How's it feel? I mean, I uh, haven't been on this side of the table yet, (laughs) but I'm excited to uh, share and uh, see what comes uh, this conversation. So this week, Anthony has so lovingly <laughs> showed up to share his story with us. Anthony, so, you know, a lot of times we start these conversations with just like understanding so we can know like what kind of helped you become who you are today. So let's uh, go back in time a little bit in the time machine and go back to your early childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, okay, Marty McFly. <laughs> Put on your seatbelts. Let's go. Can you tell us a little bit like what growing up was like for you? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and uh, it was a pretty normal childhood, I would say. Pretty typical suburban growing up. I did, I think what was different from myself and a lot of the other people uh, that I knew growing up was um, I did have a rather large family, lots of aunts and uncles and cousins. And uh, we were all uh, very close and we did things with our family a lot. I know I can remember like every Friday night uh, at our house, we would have, you know, my aunt and cousins over for, you know, Friday night pizza night. We'd watch TGIF. Um, And the other thing was my, so my parents uh, were high school sweethearts. And so that meant both sides of the family knew each other from a long, for a long time. So there was just a lot of history between my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family and everybody got along. So like even like just so people can understand and I didn't realize this for a while was that your aunts and uncles on both sides of the family, the siblings of your mom and dad knew each other. Like, oh yeah, yeah, they all went to high school yeah, together. Right. So everyone sort of and it was like, you know, tiered and, you know, depending on their age groups, everyone kind of matched you know, up. Yeah, right. kind of got mashed up. So like little, you know, uh, groups sort of formed. And, you know, growing up, it was really common for us to uh, be like at my grandma's house at the pool with our cousins and have sleepovers at grandma's house. And, you know, it was pretty normal for us. I, I guess even like looking at it like today. So like now our my cousins are having kids and there's like a joke where, we tell the kids, this is your, you know, your uncle cousin or your auntie cousin <laughs> because, to the to the babies because we're all so close that we feel like siblings. Yeah. And there was also a shared uh, kind of a story with both sides of the family being from Italy, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So um, both sides of the family uh, uh, immigrated from Italy. So there was always this, I guess, you know, initial bond uh, between uh, both families. And you know, a lot of those sort of like uh, Italian family traditions were shared between both sides. One of the biggest things was Sunday dinners. Um, So Sunday dinner was a a time where the family would all gather, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, parents, and we would get together. And it was a way to sort of let go of all of the, maybe the trouble that you had from the week before mm. and relax and sort of check rejuvenate. Would you like check on like, also like as a check-in as well too, no? Yeah, I mean, yes, it was more of just a place to really relax and laugh. Okay. And there wasn't a lot of heavy conversation. It was just more of a, a place, a safe space to come to really rejuvenate yourself, to get ready for the week ahead. Um, and then of course, the big thing that was always present was this sort of, you know, this big meal that was prepared. And I, from a, a young age, I always saw, you know, uh, coming to my grandma's house on a, a Sunday or going to my aunt's house on a Sunday for a Sunday dinner, it was it was a really important thing to do to not only 
get together with family and, you know, sort of create those bonds and those, you know, foster those relationships, but also the importance of what it means to sit down at the table with your loved ones and to share a meal. There's something that's really sacred uh, about that. And I, you know, I think about it now and it, it, it's a tradition. Mm-hmm. If you think about, I don't know, you think about when you watch like a, a, a period movie, you know, on maybe like the Middle Ages, you know, something really great happens, you know, in the kingdom. And, you know, the king calls, we must have a feast. And it's <laughs> this whole idea of what it means when you're celebrating um you know, an accomplishment or celebrating, you know, life. Milestones or just... Or just just like a regular old Sunday. The importance of being able to sort of set the table and uh, bring people together around it. There's also something that I'm thinking about while you're talking about this that is 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 like, you know, you're out there doing your thing and then then you come back to this like safe place or whatever, you know, not necessarily, um, not that it's unsafe out in the world, but you come back and you report back in, like, how was your week? And... As family, like we passed, like you, you had multi generations here, and in your grandparent, your I know on your mom's side, actually was born in Italy and came over at the age of eight. So there are stories that are told. You, you find out who you are. You, you're told about how life works, how life is, and some of that stuff, like I know as I've gotten older, like is not does not always align with exactly who I am today. But we continue to, to like uncover and discover like who we are. And so when we've been out in the world, like the world kind of, if you, when you go back out to the world and you know who you are, I think it's this sense of self um, that's very important to have. At least for me, like, I, I think I, I know knowing your family and seeing you guys at these events, it's like you encourage each other, you tell each other, like, this is how we are. This is how we treat people. This is who, like, these are the principles and values of how we live by. And then you go back out to the world and then you come back and, you know, it just kind of repeats itself. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. It's a... It's a unique thing that I know not everybody uh, experiences, but I I know just like looking back on those times, there were like there were some really tough times, uh, even as I got older, like as an adult in my career, where I would have a really brutal or hard week, and being able to go to my aunt's house and just sort of let it all out, or not even talking about it, but having a place to just sort of forget about it Mm. and letting it go, it just became a a sacred tradition that really helped form a lot of uh, who I am today. So, but, you know, there were other things that happened too, I I think that are important from when I was um, a kid. I think it's really important to talk about my family's, my dad's family, the restaurant that they owned. It was a place that my grandparents started uh, before I was even born. And uh, it turned into sort of this uh, multi-generational uh, restaurant and, you know, banquet conference center thing that... Uh, that grew uh, for over thirty years. There was a lot of, there was a lot of love. I think shared in that those walls in that room. At a very young age, it was interesting to see. So my my grandma was sort of the one who uh, was the matriarch of the family, and she really led the charge on uh, curating and crafting. You know what the restaurant experience was, and um, I remember I was young. And I uh, was little, and I said to her one time in the kitchen uh, at the restaurant, I said to her, I said, Nani, what, why do people come here all the time? Why do people always come back? And, you know, what's the secret? And she just said, well, the secret is, is that they come back for the food and they come back for the people. And the reason why they come back for the food is because when we're cooking it, we're cooking it with love. And the people that are working here, they love being here. So at a young age, I realized the importance of, you know, love or passion. Um, having that, you know, be present in your work life was really important. But I that that word love, it's always that lesson that she taught me. Uh, it always stands out as such a, a, a big life lesson mm. uh, for me um, because I feel like if I'm not passionate about something or I don't, I'm not really enjoying something or I don't love what I'm doing, then don't do it because people will see right through the lie. People will see right through sort of this facade that you're putting up and it's not going to work. And I know that when I've done things in the past, if I wasn't truly passionate about them, um, they either 
not that they didn't work, but they weren't as vastly uh, accepted or received by other people. It's interesting to me because I'm thinking about just everything you just said there, which is really helpful. That that love, that sense of that sense of there's a sense of self and self awareness of of knowing and identifying with 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 your soul of who you are to be able to connect with that. So to I know for myself where it's been like oh like I've had some things where I've been like oh okay whatever, but stuff where it's like re- really I'm like where it, like it, it lights a fire. You know that you get that in your chest like that, that fire you get for something. And it's just like the, the passion maybe is what I'm looking for, right? Mm, yeah. Um, accompanying with that love and 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 just kind of like you just kind of feel your whole body light up at the idea of, of doing something. Um, and sometimes it's like well, sometimes it's one of those things where it's like. Okay, I'm not sure how to get there, but I know that this 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 feeling I have for this just continue to. We've talked about like before, like like following those breadcrumbs as well too to get there. So you had this identification of like family coming together, you know, sharing a meal. Uh, you talk about like how that's like a sacred experience, right? Mm-hmm. And just to be fair, um, <laughs> like life was not not all like like cupcakes and kittens and unicorns either. That you you had no. life stuff like everybody else too. Can we talk about that a little bit? Life felt pretty normal um, and safe and easy, probably till I was about thirteen. I, you know, our, our life was different. Um, I would say because uh, we had the restaurant. My mom was a stay-at-home mom for some time um, until my sister and I got a little bit older. And my dad worked nights, five nights a week. So, and he worked on the weekends. So, it was really normal for my dad to leave at like four o'clock. Uh, at night uh, to go to work. And, you know, the restaurant was open until midnight or one o'clock in the morning. So he wasn't getting home uh, until later. So, you know, that was sort of the norm uh, for a really long time. And around like 12 or 13, my, there there was just a noticeable shift uh, of energy in the house uh, between my mom and dad. And we really weren't sure, my sister and I really weren't sure what that was. And we just knew something was off. Uh, my dad was not sleeping in the same bedroom as my mom. He was you know, going to work earlier, maybe staying later. It's, there was just a noticeable difference in the air. And uh, I came home, or we came home from school uh, one day, and my grandma, my mom's mom, uh, was there. And uh, she sat us down and she said, I have to tell you something. Uh, your dad uh, moved out of the house today, and uh, your mom and dad are getting a divorce. And it wasn't like it caught us off guard, but it, we didn't know that that was what was happening. Uh, there was no conversation that led up to it. To this day, I'm not exactly sure why that happened. Um, although we've talked through a lot of these things and we resolved a lot of the issues, um, I don't think I ever asked why it happened that way or why we had to find out that way. The only way to explain it is, is that I felt like my whole world literally got turned upside down, like an hourglass, you know, Mm -hmm. like it just like turned and it was like everything, the bottom was just falling out. I immediately felt this sense of having to uh, take care of the household. And I'm not sure if that was me or if that was projected onto me by another person or by something that I saw or read, but I felt this, like, I have to be a man now. Like, I have mm-hmm. to take care of this, this house. That's a lot for a 12 or 13-year-old. Yeah, it, it really was. I should, you know, before we go any further, I should also say the night that I found out or the day that we found out that my parents were uh, getting divorced that night, we did have a sit down conversation with my mom and she did talk us through it. It's much information as she could give us at the time mm-hmm. of what was going on between them. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, part of it was from that conversation with her, I sort of felt this responsibility to step up to the plate to sort of take over this place that the, you know, dad in the household, you know, this role that the dad in the mm-hmm. household would play. Um, so, but yeah, so it it was, it was a difficult, that, that was a lot of pressure that was uh, on myself. And over time, because I never talked about it um, and feeling this, I, I developed this feeling of that somehow <laughs> I'm laughing because 
to think that I did this, I somehow thought that I was the one responsible for them getting divorced. Which is, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but you hear that that is a common theme with kids that have gone through divorce. That somehow it was their fault. Yeah. Uh, you know, now being an adult today, and we say it was a lot for a 13 year old to go through. I think to identify that your your mom and dad were going through something at that time as well too, right? Sure. So it's not like that. There's a magic wand that we talk about. Like all of a sudden you're an adult and you know how to do everything right. And and the fact that sorry, sorry last time I was to say is is it you when when I start keeping secrets to myself or when I start doing the self talk and it, and it starts to I can tell I can start to tell myself these stories and they grow and I feed and I water them and um, <laughs> not always for the for the better, right? Nope. Uh, could, can you talk about um, what were some of the things you started to, to feed yourself in your, in your mind? What are the thoughts that, that you were telling yourself? Yeah, I mean, over and over, the thought was that it was my fault, that there was something that I did um, that I should have been better, I could have been better. Mm. Um, there was, uh, you know, there was always this sort of uh, tension. Uh, my, I think my dad really wanted me to play sports. I'm just not athletic in that you're athletic, but just not necessarily like. An- I, I'm not a soccer player. Yeah. I don't want to play basketball or football. It's just not my thing. And I thought maybe like that had something to do with it. Uh, you know, I just started sort of making up these, you know, excuses and it just perpetuated and it just got worse and worse and worse until one night I really just, I, I almost, I guess I snapped. And I just thought, I can't live anymore. I can't live like this anymore. I can't be here like this anymore. And um, I uh, attempted uh, to commit suicide. And I was 13 years old. Um, And I was unsuccessful, um, thankfully, and uh, immediately knew that what I did or what I was trying to do, that was not the answer. It was like, I can clearly remember trying to 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 do what I did and I clearly clearly remember having sort of almost this higher power guide me to saying okay you now you you did this this is where you got to this is not the way and that you need we need to fix this and very openly talked to my mom and uh I got help right mm-hmm. away thankfully and um uh, through you know counseling and through therapy, I was able to work through um, a lot of those issues. But really, this was also sort of this time of like graduating eighth grade, going into high school. Also, so you know, I went into I w- I went to a very small uh, grade school or uh, junior high, and then went into sort of a larger um, high school. And for the first time, I was you know having a tough time sort of integrating socially with people. And part of it was I was not myself. I was not being, I was not authentic to who I was because I was dealing with this heavy sort of burden over my shoulders. So I wasn't presenting myself to, you know, my classmates the way that I guess I wasn't presenting myself authentically. I was well, hiding something. And when when I start to do that, then I'm no longer connecting with the people that are supposed to be in my life. Right. 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 Um, and it was it was like a slow build in high school. And also, you know, for the first time I was called a fag in high school. And I was like, what? <laughs> what who I don't I I don't even think that that's true but that was that was the perception of who I was to these people. I wasn't even there. Like my mind wasn't even focused on that cuz I was dealing with so much other stuff in my yeah. mind that I wasn't even thinking about who I was uh from a uh you know in terms of my sexuality. So that was that was brand new and which led to uh me discovering that eating peanut butter and chocolate chip ice cream <laughs> <laughs> every day after school uh to feed the pain was not good. Uh it started uh, my journey in having to have bad eating habits which I think is so I think is so strange because you know growing up uh, like I talked about earlier, just the importance of sharing a meal was so uh, important uh, in my life and with you know family and with friends. And 
Now, all of a sudden, I started to struggle with food, the thing that brought everybody together. But now it was by yourself, though. It, it was. was yeah. It was. So in my uh, counseling and therapy, uh, I had to address that as well, that I needed you know, help there. And thankfully, um, I was able to work through those things. And what's really great is it, it took time. I'm not going to lie. It took a couple of years. But I feel like by my end of sophomore year, junior year of high school, I felt so comfortable in my skin. Mm. I found my tribe. I found my people. I I found my groove. I found things that I was passionate about, whether it was uh, working in student government or auditioning for the musicals and the plays and the arts department. It sounds so, like you go back, track, back on track to be, becoming who you are. I did. Yeah. I did. So, and, you know, thankfully I had that help. I got that help then. Yeah. It, can we, I just want to stop there for a second. So whether it's food, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, alcohol, the the common theme that I that I've found in, in my in my life, in being able to have conversations with people like yourself, is, is that is that we we do that act that could be not a bad thing, like eating, sex, you know, um, even like you know, alcohol within within a, its own, you know, for people that are not you know addicted to it, where it doesn't become an actual an issue. That we, we're using those substances, something outside of myself for ease and comfort, mm-hmm. right? And it's not necessarily you know that 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 I keep going back to it because the pain. And so my my my, my uh, the way my pathways in my mind work is that I have something has gotten stuck where I'm in so much pain that I'm not dealing with the actual pain or or you know like if you know if my hands on the stove and it starts to burn I know to to pull it off but when it's an actually internal thing and my hands still sitting there on the stove then I'm going to be you know eating jars of peanut butter at night or Ben and Jerry's by the court <laughs> right so what can I just 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 now and I just would like to know I think it would be a disservice. What were some of the tools that that, that counselor or therapist gave you with with uh, over those couple of years with, with dealing with those things? The main thing was uh, talking through the root of the problem. Uh, so it really was working out what it was. Um, and what I had to discover uh, was that I was not responsible for anything. Mm. I didn't I had no responsibility in any of their my parents getting divorced. and uh, you know, I said this earlier and I, I kind of laughed a little bit that I thought at 13 that I had the power to break up a marriage, <laughs> which I, I didn't. And, you know, most people uh, don't. And I think, you know, now looking back as an adult and, you know, looking at those situations, it's really, you know, everyone goes through what they go through in their own, you know, personal relationships, but not having the ability to talk about it, I think is what hindered it. And with, the therapy, that's what really really changed. And really what happened was, was once I discovered that I was not the culprit and that I didn't need to uh, take on this, you know, role of being the head of the household, things, it was almost like this pressure was lifted from my chest and this relief came off my shoulders. And I everything sort of shifted. Yeah. My personality changed. My smile changed. Uh, I, I remember uh, telling my, I remember my mom, we got uh, workout equipment because I wanted to get in shape. Mm. I wanted to lose that, you know, 20 or 30 pounds that I had put on. You know, everything changed once I made the realization. And and it wasn't just a, I should say this, it's not just like this surface level decision. It was, I truly had to understand deep in my heart and my soul that I was not responsible. And once I was able to understand that and accept that, that's when it seemed like everything just sort of came into place. Yeah. There's a, when I'm trying to box against a wall mm-hmm. that uh, that's a dead end, um, it's insanity yeah. actually is what it is. Yeah. And and that is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, then when I, so then what I hear is, is you took that, once you realized or what, you know, it came to a head that then you were able then to take that energy and put it back into improving yourself, yeah. like living your life. And then that's where the flow started again. And it flourished. And I, and I think about those, those times and the things that I did. And I, you know, I was able to soar. I was, wow. I was just gliding and it was, uh, it's like going it was from a drowning really beautiful to flying. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? It's like going from drowning to flying, you know, it's, yeah. the stuff, the word flourish you use, it's a beautiful word. Yep. So what happened next? Um, well, then graduated high school, went on to college, um, and uh, it was 
sort of a, an unknown time. Uh, I was I, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And there was a big part of me that wanted to go away, far away. I was looking at schools in California. I was looking at schools, uh, Arizona. And I remember settling on uh, a school in Chicago, DePaul University. And I, I shouldn't say settle, but that's w- w- ultimately where I chose to go. Um, and I think part of it was because I I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And there was this sort of sense of being close to home that just felt like the right thing to do at the time. But did not know the time. Yeah, not knowing why. And uh, midway through uh, my freshman year of college, uh, my mom was diagnosed with hepatitis C. We found out that there was a blood transfusion that she had had uh, a year or so earlier that was contaminated with it. That was how she contracted it. There was a uh, experimental treatment that she started on, um, which made her really sick. It was almost like her being on chemo. Well, it was chemo actually, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it was done at home and um, it just really snowballed uh, over the course of, you know, two and a half years of her just sort of going on this like up and down with it. Ultimately, the treatment put her into kidney and liver failure. Um, And uh, it was a really, it was a really weird time because she was sick, but her and I spent a lot of time together while she was sick, uh, there was a lot of conversations. I So she never wanted me, her being as sick as she was, she still wanted me to not live in the house. She wanted me to have my own apartment or my own place to live in outside of the house because she wanted me to experience college and have a college life and a college experience. But really what wound up happening was I was I had to get a, I was going to school full time. I had to get a job because I was helping supplement paying bills for her because she wasn't able to, you know, pay everything um, at the house. And then I had an apartment that I had to pay for. So it was like, kind of like, it was, it really didn't work the way that she wanted it to. But what it did do was I wasn't in the house all the time. Um, but I clearly remember on Saturday mornings, her and I every Saturday morning, because I would I would go go home on uh, Fridays, and Saturday mornings we'd wake up and her and I would just sit at the kitchen table and have coffee and talk. And when I say talk, we would just talk about everything. She would tell me things, you know, share these like you know things that happened to her when she was younger. She would talk about my the you know, our families, like both sides, my mom and dad's side, because again, there's this big history there. So I learned uh, a lot and we just talked, uh, we talked a lot. We got to know each other uh, on a different, on a different level. And it was, uh, it was a time that I, at the time I didn't know what was happening, but now looking back, it was us really having sort of our, our uh, final moments of uh, sharing with one another together. Little backstory is that your mom at the age of 19 had a kidney transplant, right? Yeah. She was told at the age of 19 that she would never have children. Right. And she went on to have not one, but two beautiful children. We're overachievers in my family. <laughs> and, and so due to um, the complications from which with the hepatitis, with also being a, a transplant, having a transplant, mm-hmm. the, the chemotherapy caused extra stress on her internal organs and uh and she got really sick that, that that year right yeah so she got really sick my senior year of college um we made it through the holidays it was not great her birthday was the first it was like the first week of january um and i remember going home for her birthday on her birthday during the week and then she was supposed to they were they were she was like at the top of the transplant list because of her, how sick she was. They had to run, like they had to do a series of tests. Uh, When you're getting a transplant, you have to make sure that your heart, uh, you have to do, well, for her, she had to do a, a series of heart tests to make sure that her heart could handle the stress of the surgery. And we brought her into the hospital at, to have that test. And they admitted her that night because her heart was not, functioning right so there was just all of a sudden like things was weird it was like things just sort of like turned very drastically very quickly and this was just to clarify this was because the the original transplant that she had had now was failing her right uh, she had years later yeah so the kidney that was in her body uh, at the time was not working she was on dialysis again 
she was going to get a kidney transplant. Yes, yeah, that's right. right. So uh, we were we were there, and uh, she was in the hospital, and you know, we were just doing everything we could to really, you know, kind of keep up, you know, her spirits, our spirits, and uh, I was there with her one night, and she just was not feeling great. And, you know, I called the nurse and the nurse came in and they realized that something was going on. And all of a sudden it felt like an episode of, you know, any medical show, you know, at the time ER was on TV and I felt like we were on an episode of ER with all these doctors rushing around in there. And, um, they were making her sign all this paperwork and she asked everybody to get out because she needed to talk to me. And she, we talked about a couple of things. Uh, she told me a few things. And the last thing she uh, said to me was sort of this mantra, I guess, that we adopted from her cousin uh, while she was sick. She, she said to me, she said, just remember that you have to have faith because faith gives you hope and hope gives you everything to live for. And as soon as she said that, it was like, the doctors like rushed back into the room and they pulled me out and they had to uh, intubate her. Uh, they put her on a, a, a ventilator because she wasn't able to, she was losing the ability to breathe and they had to medicate her and, you know, do all of these things. So we were not a, like, uh, that happened like on a Thursday. And then um, the next you know, the next couple of days, no one was really supposed to be there because she had to go into an intensive care unit. And I don't even think I really understood what was going on at the time. Yeah. Uh, so I remember us going back, like a, as a clan, we showed up, the family uh, showed up uh, on Sunday that week. And she just had she was connected to all kinds of machines and there were tubes, you know, coming in and out of her nose and her arms and just everywhere. And I walked into the room and I just, I, I lost it. And I just screamed out loud, just let her go. There was no, um, there was no quality of life. Like you're looking at this person, there's no quality of life there. And really knowing and understanding that she was just too weak to have a transplant. There was no way that that was going to, that was going to happen. So uh, <laughs> stubborn as she was, or as uh, strong-minded as she was, she was, she kept going. She kind of kept, kept kind of get, getting better. So it was just a very weird, you know, couple of weeks of her basically on life support. And then uh, one day I got a call that said, you've got to come to the, we have to go to the hospital. It's, she just took a, a big turn for the worse. And I remember walking into this, you know, ICU room and uh, around her bed, it was uh, like a semicircle of doctors and nurses, probably 10 or 12 people. And they were all crying. <laughs> and I looked and I came in and they were just looking at her just crying because I don't think these were all of her doctors and nurses, all the specialists, all of the people who uh, she'd been years. coming to see yeah. for so long. They didn't think that she was not going to make it. Yeah. It wasn't a, a thing. So um, yeah. So uh, they, we made the decision that day that she wasn't going to get any better and that we slowly had to turn uh, the machines off and uh, let her go. And uh, it was, a it was a uh, humbling and peaceful experience uh, just to watch her go. I think anybody who uh, has lost uh, a parent, uh, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're close to them, it it's probably one of the toughest things uh, that you can do or go through. And I know um, for me, uh, because my mom and I were so close, that not having her around anymore, it was uh, it felt like my whole world was ending. And part of that was was because my life revolved around her, revolved around taking her to the doctor, checking on her. I remember the day of the funeral at the luncheon. I uh, there were 
thousands, and I'm not kidding, thousands of people that showed up to the wake. And I know this because we had ordered 1,500 mass cards uh, for the wake. And the wake was from like three o'clock in the afternoon till nine o'clock at night. And by six o'clock, all 1,500 mass cards were gone. And there was a line of people waiting to get into the funeral home. But I was going back. I was at just meeting. There were a lot of people. There was a lot happening. There was, I I don't even remember it. It was so much of a a blur. Um, But I remember at the luncheon, I was at her luncheon. We just left her at the cemetery and it was, it was like mechanical robotic. I, I, I called her to check on her. You, you, you stepped away from the I left the luncheon and I went to just call her to just make sure that she was okay. Cause I would call her you know, 50 yeah. times a day just to make sure she was okay at home. And I, and it was her on the answering machine. Was there anyone there to see when that happened? No one was there. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I had to sort of figure out, well, where do I go from here? Who do I call? Yeah. Was there someone, did, like, did you identify inside you, like, who, who's the person I'm going to call now? Who's the person I can lean on now? My dad's mom and I, we just had this spiritual connection, I guess. We would be able to talk about life and um, all sorts of, you know, philosophical, you know, things. Just we would have these very deep conversations. I mean, my grandma, she would, she's also the one who was like, you know, the founder of the restaurant and then led to like opening up other businesses. And, you know, she was always this entrepreneur way ahead of her time, you know, sort of this you know, a powerful, you know, woman figure that I've always seen. And uh, it just naturally gravitated to her and I, you know, talking more and more and doing things more and more, spending time together. And I just remember even having like late night conversations uh, with her at her house, uh, talking about, she was talking about the secret before the secret was even a thing. You know, when I was going through when I was going through things, she was she would always just tell me that when you're feeling stressed or you're not sure how to handle something, take a pause and say and just say, "God, take this from me. I'm not strong enough to handle it and give it back to me when I can handle it." And it was just like these little things where I was I was learning sort of these building block lessons from her after, you know, after sort of this tragic sort of experience in my life. And it was a time where I was really able to sort of get regrounded and um, get to a place where I would be ready to sort of enter into, re-enter into the world, like ready to go. So you finished college. Mm -hmm. Was there... uh did you have an idea like, well, what am I going to do now? I got this I degree. had no idea what I was going to do. I'm, I don't even know what I'm going to do now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but yeah, I mean, so I like graduated college. Um, and I always knew there was always this, this, you know, th- and I should say this, that, uh, that p- those talks with my grandma, those building block moments, that was all happening after college, uh, with her. And, um, you know, and it wasn't just her. There were other people that started coming in that were really giving me uh, sort of the the tools that I would need, you know, further as I, you know, get older and what I would need later in life. And I, I always knew that I wanted to be my own boss. I mean, it's sort of hard not to, you know, I grew up in a family watching all of them, you know, working and, and being their own boss. And... Uh, there was just sort of this innate feeling that that's what I wanted. And I remember I tried all kinds of things. Uh, I tried, you know, different direct sales, like working for different direct sales companies. I one early on thought maybe I should get into real estate or be a realtor, but I was kind of young and I didn't have a network, you know, so just trying to navigate these, you know, different things. But what I was doing was I was working in the hospitality industry and I found myself, I found this niche on the event side, planning events. So I worked in hotels and restaurants and eventually into off-premise catering. And it led to me wanting, me saying, okay, well, I have this tool. I know how to create events from one side of it. What if I really started exploring and seeing what it would mean to uh, to you know take and handle and craft events from start to finish, you know, with a lot of uh, time and a lot of uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of like self 
um, reflection. I journaled a lot. I would go on long walks trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to start. And there was this concept uh, to create a party planning business that would liven up or liven it up uh, every, every party that we would do. So with about a year's worth of you know, this journaling and, you know, thinking things through, I uh, launched Liven It Up events, which became my, I guess, became my everything. It was sort of a lot of dreams coming true. There was a lot of, uh, I would see a lot of like serendipitous moments as I was building the company. And when I first started, it was really just, it was just me. And I was really just wanted to plan fun house parties for people to, you know, liven it up. And after my first year really in business um, was that it was during the time of the 2008 uh, recession happened. So a lot of this like social business and corporate business that I built went away. It just wasn't going to happen anymore. Um, And I had done weddings, working in hotels and catering and all of that. And I, it's not that I wasn't, that's not, it's not that I wanted to not do weddings. It just really wasn't on the radar for me to do because I wanted to, I loved doing these, you know, fun house parties and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and I just, you're, you're, you're a little humble here, but you were, you just kind of, just kind of throughout that you were doing some of these social and uh, these corporate things, but you were doing some of the most uh, prestigious locations in downtown Chicago on Oak street and in the gold coast. And you were how old? 26, 27. Yeah. So, I mean, you really, you hit it, you hit the ground running and, and you really took off pretty quickly. Yeah. And then 2008 happens. Yeah. Like, and, and everything kind of fell apart. Yeah. So um, there was this sense of all of a sudden, like, well, what is still happening? And people were referring me to help plan weddings because I was a party planner. I I remember I, I uh, had a few weddings lined up for, you know, that year. Not a ton, but enough to keep me busy. And I had a couple, you know, side hustles going too, just to, you know, keep the lights on and food, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, I remember being at uh, one of the weddings and uh, I think it was like the first dance, you know, or like the dance, the dance floor opened. And I think this energy of the, you know, the lights changing, right? So it's normally all of a sudden that's when the lights go down. And then this energy kind of hitting from the, from my, you know, the back of my head from the music. And it was this big voice inside my head that said, you need to, you need to plan weddings. This is what you need to focus on. And had you discounted that before at all, just out of curiosity? No. So whenever a big voice, like it doesn't happen often, but when a big voice like that comes and it tells me, I yes, you I always follow it. Okay. So uh, from there, I was like, okay, well, we're going to do weddings now. So had uh, weddings we, been on your on your horizon at all? Yeah, kind of, okay. but not. I wasn't pursuing it. So that's when I really went in and started changing all of our marketing, changed the look of the website to feel more wedding, and the phone started ringing. And I eventually got busier than I could handle by myself and slowly started bringing on other people to take on other clients. And you started teaching or assisting a team, no? Yeah, well, I started building a team. (laughs) More people um, so that it wasn't just me. Uh, And I remember when I started, there was never a thought of having anybody else but me. It was just me. It it could have been called Anthony Navarro Events, but that's not what it was. It was meant to be this bigger extension of uh, the work that I started to do and, you know, bringing um, other people on. So you started to scale that company to what it is more today. Right. A company that has done over 800 events. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not just now in the city of Chicago, a nationwide company. Yep. um, With offices in Los Angeles and uh, here in Chicago, and then nationwide, anywhere. We travel everywhere. (laughs) We do stuff everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And we do everything now from weddings to corporate to social events. Um, And it's been a, a journey. I've learned a lot in building a company and running it, managing a team. And working with clients, you know, uh, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's more challenging. Uh, sometimes the outside influences have made things uh, difficult. I know everybody always wants to hear all the crazy stories from planning weddings. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of them. 
But I think what's, you know, what's really important is, or more important is sort of understanding and, and knowing why some of those things happen. You know, sometimes is it, did I not, did I not think this through all the way? Did I not, did I not, you know, double check to make sure that the streets were going to be open or that there should be like a, 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 there was a roadblock that day or a festival happening. And other times, you know, you think about, okay, well, why is this person reacting, you know, the way that they're reacting? Why, why is it such a big deal that the ivory, the shade of ivory of the roses is the wrong shade of ivory? And you just, then you really just start to wonder like, okay, well, what's really going on? Because it's not really the shade of ivory is bothering you. There's something else. So I think I learned a long time ago that you can't take everything for surface value and that you really have to, if you're working with people, you just have to know and understand like, they got shit going on well, too. <laughs> I just want to stop for a second. When you said that shade of ivory is, is that, because I think they could come across a few different ways as being like, it is the wrong shade of ivory where actually, and I know this because you planned our wedding. So I <laughs> got to be kind of like the client for, for lack of, and you know, for better. Well, I mean, I, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, you were the client. Yeah. We, we, it was an interesting juxtaposition and it, and it was a wonderful experience um, because I trusted you. And, and leading up to that, that experience, I had time to watch how sometimes I can focus on one thing, like I can get laser po, you know, laser focus on one thing. And you have the, the way your mind works, you're able to see how it all comes together. You talked about earlier how in the beginning, um, after college, that you were like doing these side hustle jobs where you were one part of the equation, one of the vendors, whether it was the catering or this or that. And as you s observed, and I'm sure this was happening also as a kid, you know, with the, the banquets and everything, just sitting on the sidelines or actually, you know, you don't need to sit on that. You, you worked in the restaurant as a kid as well too. Understanding all these moving and working parts, how almost kind of like in, in an orchestra, like the conductor yeah. is bringing it all together. So why I'm saying all this is, is that, that that rose was not the, the wrong color. It was all taken into account. So it all gave birth to or created this, delivered this one beautiful experience all working together, right. and that that's a, that's that's a gift. I I don't necessarily. I have other creative gifts. Um, I don't always necessarily see. I, I can build things, um, but to the way you do it is, is definitely the way you plan ahead of things. Is a little bit of a different intuitive power that you have. That um, there's a gift that that has. And I think that's why it's so important is finding out what your gifts are. So then you are doing, being able to to to, to flourish and use those those gifts in life. So the wedding planner gets engaged. <laughs> <laughs> He did. <laughs> when I asked you to marry to marry me, <laughs> I never thought about this till just now. Was this instant feel? I mean, you must have had this instant feel like, oh, okay, so this is. I mean, it, you said yes, <laughs> so that was great. Well, right? Yeah, I wanted to get married. <laughs> but then was there this, was there this impending fact of like, oh wait, who's going to plan this wedding? Uh, no, because I didn't think I didn't think we were going to have a wedding. I thought I had it all planned Exist. out in my head. Exit we, stage left. <laughs> uh huh. We were going to get a We were going to elope on a mountain in Los Angeles, and it was going to be great. And we were just going to come back to our family and say surprise. So you thought you had this all figured out already? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I think part of it was you know. Uh, at a young age when I came out, which really was not a big deal. You know, my uncle is gay and I think having him uh, being in our family really helped pave the way for making my coming out process really easy. But at a young age, I began to accept who I was and um, also accepted the fact that gay people weren't allowed to get married then. So I was okay with not being married or I guess maybe not okay with not being married, but not having a wedding. The thought of having a wedding was, uh, was I think, uh, I just, it was what I did for work. So I didn't want to have, I, I didn't ever wanted our wedding to feel like it was work. Um, so I think that there was a big part of me that was just like, I, I don't think we need to have a wedding. And, you know, honestly, the other part was, I, I was sort of, afraid that it would be too hard on myself emotionally to have a wedding without my mom there. And was there, some, sorry, was there something, just, just to ask you this, is it, 
Was there, you, you, you've produced, you've created so many beautiful, wonderful weddings with, with love and you've become like an extended family member of a lot of these families I've seen over the years that still today that, you know, you're like a third son to some of these people. There's a, there's a part of a wedding where there's a really intimate moment between a mom and a son usually. Oh yeah, that mother-son dances. Yeah, I, I remember when I really first started doing weddings when uh, it would happen where, when that would happen, I would have to leave the room because it was like, it was too emotional for me. But I was also, you know, at that time, I was also very emotional because I was very, I felt very connected to um, every single, you know, little detail that was happening. And as, you know, my career progressed, I feel like I was able to sort of, like you said, become more of the conductor and mm -hmm. make sure that everything was working and not hone in on, you know, little things. Also, I think, you know, as I got older, I dealt with some, you know, emotional, you know, some, you know, things that were sort of deep seated uh, in me. So um, that part got easier. But yeah, I just, I was, I was kind of nervous about that. But I know that, you know, with, I guess with a couple different things, you know, with just a few years ago, not being able to be married uh, or not legally being able to get married and also really wanting to sort of go back to, you know, I keep going back to it, but, you know, what I learned as a kid, you know, bringing people together. There's something really powerful about bringing, you know, all of your friends and family together to celebrate love. So we went on this journey of, you know, planning the wedding. And I think everything that we did was uh, really intentional. Um, I think for me, what was sort of fun was uh, you were my only client. And <laughs> what was one of your easiest clients? Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, you were the only one that I had to pitch my ideas to. And I think most of the time we were like on the same page. So that sort of was a fun, you know, creative outlet for myself. In this creative outlet, we were engaged. <laughs> we decided to have the wedding how long after we got engaged? Well, four months. You decided that, not me. <laughs> so if it was, was me, the only it would have, <laughs> yeah, that was all on you. I would have given us way more time, but it, it definitely worked. And, you know, I, I approached it from the same way that I would approach any event. What started happening was in the process uh, I realized what exactly was happening. And, and what was happening was, was that we were bringing together uh, your family, my family, your friends, my friends, and we were bringing them all under, you know, into one room for one night to celebrate what I always thought was the love between two people. And what I realized in the planning process was that it really was actually, we were bringing people together to not only celebrate us, but to celebrate them. And what I mean by that was a way for us to say thank you for being a friend, being there through the years, giving me guidance, giving your advice, having a shoulder to cry on, helping build me to be the best version of myself yeah. so that I could be ready for my partner in life. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just you and me. It was, we were who we are because of, of all of we. Like all of we. Yeah. The whole group. Yeah. So everyone who was invited, there was uh, intention behind everyone was invited. We were limited too because of space. The, the venue only held so many people. So... Um, everyone who was invited, there really was a, a purpose for that person, you know, to be in the room that night. And once that happened, I realized that for all of these years, I've just been planning weddings and planning weddings and, and you know, doing this uh, for so many people. And I realized that there was a bigger potential when you're rounding when you're rounding up people from all walks of life, bringing them all under one roof. And the the thing that I learned was if you can take anything that you're doing, any kind of gathering, where if you if you shift the focus, even if you're giving the excuse, right, so that there's this monumental, you know, life changing moment that you're bringing people together, if you can flip the intention of why you're bringing everyone together and it becomes not just a uh, celebrating you're having a baby you have a, a birthday it's an anniversary yeah. but you 
but you shift the focus to saying, everybody in the room, I want to say thank you to you for helping me get to this point in my life. The amount of love and the amount of joy that it brings you to be able to put that gathering on for those people who you love Mm -hmm. so much just is, it's, it's almost bigger than you and the other people that are coming. Well, we talked about earlier about as a kid on Sundays, how you would gather around and everyone would kind of check in with each other and, you know, and when you get to have that wedding, that's maybe like once every five years when everyone gets together or once in a lifetime, let's even say, because when are all of those people from my life and your life all going to be together per se, like, and, and that that one that one time like that, and then but then we're all sitting down together and everyone is getting to check in with one another. It's not just about what's happening in our life that that minute. Right. It's about what's happened over the years with Aunt so and so with this person and oh oh you know your cousins had a baby now that you haven't seen in years. You maybe when you were younger you used to see each other all at Thanksgiving, but now that they've had their own family and they do their thing and so to get everyone, at least that was my experience, all this extended family together. And then for them to have stories with each other, like my family, have my, my dad telling me stories about, you know, you and your, your uncle and they had their own, and, and your dad taking my cousins out to the bar till four o'clock in the morning <laughs> after the wedding, you know, yeah. um, and then getting hot dogs, you know, here in Chicago. <laughs> so, yeah. It, what we did was, and I didn't know that this is what was happening, but what we were doing was we were setting Uh, a stage for the people that we love most in our lives to come together, to connect with one another, to start these new, you know, create new bonds, create new relationships. I I mean, we did, we just didn't have the wedding. I mean, we had the wedding on one, one night, but we also, I don't know why we did this. We didn't really have a rehearsal, but we decided to sort of have like a rehearsal dinner or like a welcome party, but we invited everybody. And I just remember going outside and seeing some of my friends, some of your friends, your cousins, Mike, everybody was just uh, sitting around drinking beers, talking, and like it, they were laughing. They, they were they, they were joking it, yeah. around with the each other. The people gravitated to each other were the people, yeah. Right. They were so making their own bonds. They were. And it was, all we did was we just sort of set the stage and we brought everybody together. And we we took the focus off the two of us and we put it back on everyone else and said that this is just not about us. It's so much more powerful. All of you. Right. right. Missed opportunities if we hadn't done that. Honestly. Yeah, Yeah. totally. I mean, then, I mean, later on that, that Sunday, so the wedding was Saturday night, then Sunday morning, we had everybody back over at our house for brunch and brunch uh, went through till brunch till till eight o'clock at night, till 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) But uh, it just kept, it just kept, you know, which in all honesty, I wouldn't have had it any well, other and way. And the thing is, is that uh, for anyone who, is that we, people had come from all over the country and some people from just down the street as well too. And knowing that, uh, you know, so-and-so was going to be getting on a flight at eight o'clock and they stayed up until six o'clock till they had to head to, you know, midway or, or hair, you know, um, feeling that nothing, every ounce of potential was fully uh, appreciated. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, looking back now, like there were people at the wedding that are not here with us anymore yeah, yeah. and being able to have those experiences with them and and them having the experience with all of the other people who were here, I think is, uh, it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah. So now you've done your own wedding. Uh, obviously your perspective has a different dimension to it that it didn't necessarily have because you never had actually done one where it was all, you've, you've planned sister, you've, you've done family members' weddings, but now this was your wedding. Yeah. How has that experience changed or created a, a new layer to to how you work today? Yeah, I think it's just a different lens. Um, and my approach is just a little bit different with every project I take on, whether it's a wedding or a, a corporate event, like an activation, a meeting, a conference. It's finding out what the intention is from the get-go. What, why are we get, getting everyone together? Why are we asking people to come? And then figuring out what are we going to do to elevate and enhance the guest experience. It's uh, It really comes down to creating a memorable experience, not just for who's hosting, but for the people who are going to be attending. When you leave that experience, how have you been changed? Right. And really just looking at it at a different, uh, approaching it from a different angle. And I think what has happened is because of that, these interesting projects, you know, pop up in my email, you know, in my email box uh, where I feel like that 
that uh, other people who are maybe just sort of drawn to this energy that I'm putting out, whether they're finding it on social media or you know whatever, but sort of the the right projects that are looking to do that just sort of come into play. You know, for me on a personal level too, there's sort of a deeper meaning behind having people over or gathering. We were um, we were back. Uh, at, in your hometown, South Bend, Indiana, at church uh, last year, uh, I think around this time. And it, the conversation in church was asking everybody, finding what was their altar at home? What altar did they create? What what was sort of this sacred space that they were able to, uh, to create in their homes? And I had to think about it because I didn't have it, you know, right at the top of my head. But eventually it came to me that the dining room table was almost like my altar. So, meaning I would put a lot of love and care and attention into setting it up. With, to receive people. With food yeah. and with floral and decor and the angle of the plates and the angle of the napkins and all these little details. But what it did was, is it facilitated and and brings people together mm-hmm. where they come into, you know, they come into your house and they're they're there and they're uh, having conversations with anchor. another. Yeah, it, 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 think about it. You said it's go ahead. Yeah, it's the anchor of the of the the gathering. Um, so it's not what I've really learned though is that it's not so important of what every little detail is on the table, but that it's there and it becomes this anchor for everyone to gather around. So I think about I picture you and your mom you know, on those Saturday mornings and then also conversations with your grandma, how important it is is that we as human beings continue to talk about where we're at, where we're going, or, or and then also sharing with those around us is how, we, how we're doing it and how mm-hmm. we're getting there and what's working, what's not working. You know, when two or three people come together, there's two or three different, there, there's so much I don't know, right? And then there's, and then there's things that I uniquely have experienced that, um, People that love and care about me can be like, they know, first of all, they know who I am and what I'm about. And first of all, I have to figure that out for myself. And, and people, you know, the people that, that celebrate me can be like, this is not who you, if I start going in the wrong direction, or not necessarily the wrong direction, but maybe off the path or whatever, be like, that's not you. This is not who you are. I know mm-hmm. you. This is, maybe I've been distracted or maybe I'm tired. Maybe I've just like trying, like maybe I've been doing too much. What I've seen is this, this overarching theme of, of how people have been in your life to, help you find out, continue to find out who you are, who you're becoming, and then you go back out and you do your thing. Is there any other tools that, that you use like in your spiritual practice that we maybe haven't touched on today that you think would be important for other people to, to know and, and, who, and how you get through wire today? Yeah, so every morning um, I do, I take a little time out uh, before I get out of bed. And you know, some people may call it a prayer, some people would call it a meditation. It's just sort of my morning practice. And what I do is um, I you know, take a couple deep breaths. I get uh, sort of centered. And the, you know, first thing I do is I sort of, I visualize sort of what I see for myself uh, for that day and maybe some bigger picture, you know, ideas. And then, um, then what I really work through is sort of this gratitude list of talking and working through all of the things that I am grateful for. And it could be some days it's, you know, really simple. I'm grateful for the dogs. I'm grateful for a roof over our heads and I'm grateful for you. <laughs> um, and other days it's, it's big, you know, it's bigger things or it's specific things that have maybe happened the day before or are going to happen that day. So, but I think that there's something powerful about calling out or writing down or saying out loud the things that you are grateful for. Gratitude, I've learned a long time ago that when you're grateful and you um, give thanks for those things that have been brought into your life, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But when you're grateful for those things, somehow it sort of shifts your mindset and you walk into your day totally different and you approach it differently, maybe more from a, a, I guess, a positive mindset. Um, But having, but having that sort of be the way to start the day is, it's just, it's just very simple and very easy way for me to wake up and, you know, get out of bed on the right foot. Mm. (laughs) I also know too, on the days that I don't do that, uh, I also notice that, 
things don't always go uh, as great. And I should say that, you know, just because I do this gratitude, uh, this gratitude journal every morning, that doesn't mean that there's no problems during the day. It's really more of the mindset that I'm in that I approach handling issues or problems, right? It's interesting when I think it's not getting stuck. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, we have emotions, but we, you know, we talked about younger when you, when you, when you, things got really bad, it was like those emotions got stuck, Yeah, you know, and being able to, to, to emote, to move and just to continue to, uh, as we, you know, life is like bumper cars we're, we're out, when you're out there living your life and you're, and especially when you're, when you're out there really living. Yeah. And I mean, we're all, we're all constantly, um, you know, in collide or collision, but, uh, if, if I'm okay on the inside, if I've had that quiet time, then it, doesn't I kind of rise above it in a different way? It's like yeah. okay, what? And I know even like for myself, there's been times where like something's happened, and maybe I've you maybe you've not known it. Like I've gone and meditated earlier that day or something where I've really had a chance, and and from the outside I look no different than I than I did the day before. And you've come to me with something, and you're you're kind of like bracing for impact, and I'm like oh, okay, all right. And and I know, and I and I've seen, and I've been both I've been both those both the person who has and who has not. Where you're gonna look at me like. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, um, that's just my personal experience with that. Um, so I, uh, I really appreciate the time, um, that you took here and, and being able to share just your, your story with us. I feel like that we all have a better understanding of who you are and who you are becoming and, and just some of the things that we can, I know that I can take away that they can help me today that I didn't even know was being married to you. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad for that. Yeah. So. Well, um, just want to say happy Thanksgiving to everyone and uh, just have a lot of gratitude for being able to share this space with you today. Yep, me too. We hope you enjoyed getting to know Anthony and learn more about where his source for life, drive, and passion come from. His books, events, and media links can be found on our website under his episode's profile page. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA community, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store. Thanks again for listening and remember to be true, be you, and to talk out loud.